0: Turn with me, if you will, to the Old Testament book of Joshua, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and we will read in the first chapter and beginning in the first verse. Now, it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, And as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. And courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father, these words were spoken to Joshua as an individual so long ago in the Old Testament, and yet uh, they ring true for every one of your people, everyone who is called by your name, uh, even in these days. And so help us as we hear your words to Joshua to understand how they apply to us. And that you would be with us in the coming year wherever we go. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua chapter 1 is a great chapter for beginning a new year. Because for the people of God, Joshua chapter 1 brought about a day of new beginnings. A whole new start for them. After many generations in their slavery in Egypt, God had brought his people out of that iron furnace with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great wonders. And he promised through Moses to bring them to a good land, to a land flowing with milk and honey where God would dwell in their midst. But as you know, on the way there, the people murmured, and complained they lamented that perhaps they'd been better off in Egypt after all and when it was time to cross the Jordan River and enter the land of promise they balked saying that it would be too difficult and that too many obstacles lay in their way and so God turned them about and for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness as chastisement for their unbelief and their ungratefulness and they wandered right up until the point in biblical history at which we have arrived this morning and now they are sitting on the banks of the Jordan River again after 40 years here in Joshua 1. And the time has come for the people to believe the Lord's promises and for him to bring them across the Jordan River and into the promised land. So Joshua 1, I say, is about new beginnings. It was a new beginning territorially for them, but it was also a new beginning of them following the Lord as they were intended to do all along. And I'm sure that you notice that the primary theme that rose to the surface in God's instructions to Joshua as they prepared to go forward in faith was uh, very clear. God said some things to them over and again, didn't he? Three things, in fact, that I want you to notice. First, be strong and courageous, verse 6. Or again in verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. That was the first thing. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. And why could Joshua and the people be strong and courageous in the face of the enemies and the obstacles that they would encounter across that river? Because in the second place, verse 9, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Or verse 5, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. So, number one, be strong and courageous, because, number two, I will be with you. Now, just as an aside, isn't that a good word for the new year? These words apply to all of God's people, just as they applied to Joshua and Israel in those days. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Take that truth into the new year. Be strong and courageous because I will be with you. And then in the third place, we need to ask from this passage, what exactly did it mean for Joshua and for Israel to be strong and courageous? Were they sort of just to muster this up and figure out what courage would look like when they crossed the river? How were they practically to be strong and courageous? Well, look carefully at verse 7. Listen to the command. Only be strong and very courageous. How? How? Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That little semicolon there in verse 7 is important. I'm telling you to be strong and courageous, semicolon. Now I'm telling you how to do it. And how do you do it? Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Take the book that is in your hand and make sure you do everything that I have commanded you. That's the way to be strong and courageous. Believe and obey the book come what may when you cross that river. And if you do that, the Lord told Joshua, I will be with you, verse 5, and verse 7, you will have success wherever you go. Now, isn't that what we want as we come to the various thresholds in our lives? Whether the Jordan River in front of us is brand new faith in Jesus because we're new Christians or it's a new job that we're beginning or a new home that we're starting or a new child that is coming or even just the coming of a new year. We all want when we cross over life's various thresholds to know that the Lord will be with us when we cross over. and that he will make our way successful. I hope that's what you want as you enter a new year. That's what I want for our church as we enter a new year, that the Lord would be with us wherever we go and that he would make our way prosperous and that he would give us success. Now, admittedly, the river we are about to cross, namely... Midnight tomorrow night, January 31st, is not nearly as momentous a river as the one Joshua and his people crossed that day so long ago. I'm aware of that. And yet, our hopes are the same as we enter new phases in our life. We hope that it will be like it was for Joshua and the people of Israel when they reach the other side of the Jordan, that we will be strong and courageous and that the Lord will be with us wherever we go. But I tell you this morning that if those things are to be so, those first two things that the Lord said to Joshua, if they're to be so in 2013, if we're to be strong and courageous in 2013, if we're to know the Lord's presence in 2013 and he is to prosper us and make us successful, then we must, like Joshua and his people, be people of the book in 2013. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. If we are to have success in the coming year as individuals, as families, as a church, we must be people of this book. We, like Israel of old, must believe and obey the words that God has spoken to us through his servant Moses, verse 7, yes, and through all the other prophets and apostles through whom God has spoken to us since then. And verse 8, I think, sums up this principle, sums up what I want to say to you this morning marvelously and famously. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous And then you will have success. That ought to be our watchword as we enter into a new year. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have success. The principle is just as true for us as it was for Joshua and Israel so long ago. Indeed, it would not be inaccurate to say that not only will God be with us in 2013 because we believe and obey this book, but I think it would be accurate to say that the very way that he will be with us is through this book. God doesn't any longer travel around with his people in pillars of fire and cloud as he did in times of old. He comes to us today by his spirit through this book. And that gives us all the more reason to take God's instructions to Joshua and own them for ourselves in the year that lies ahead. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. That verse encompasses my whole aim this morning, which is to urge you and to plead with you to let this turning of a new calendar year be an opportunity to recommit yourself to this book of the law and to become people of the book in your private devotionals, in your family time, in your attendance, in this meeting house, and so on. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth in 2013. You shall meditate on it day and night in 2013, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it in 2013, and then in 2013, you'll make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Now, you may be able to tell already that this verse, Joshua 1.8, is a preacher's Dream because it so obviously falls out into three nice portions, three practical ways that we must be people of the book. And so, without further ado, I want to get right to them. First of all, God says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You are, God's word to Joshua was, You are to speak the words of this book when you cross that river. You are to speak the words of this book. And there are probably two kinds of speaking that God had in view here. First, Joshua was to speak the words of God's book to himself as he meditated chanted, memorized the passages, and we'll come back to that sort of speaking under the next heading. You're not to let the book depart from your mouth, but meditate on it. Some, in some way, the speaking and the meditating go together. He's to speak it to himself, but also this command that Joshua not let the book of the law depart from his mouth was also surely a reminder that Joshua was to speak these words not only to himself, but to others as well. Joshua was the one who actually had the book in his hands in those pre-printing press days, and he was not to keep those words to himself. He was to talk about this book with other people, to teach them to his children, to proclaim them to the sons of Israel, to deliberate over them with his cabinet of leaders, and so on. He was to speak the words of this book, and I submit to you that we must do the same. Now, I know that Joshua was a leader in Israel. He was the leader, in fact, and so he had a unique and more weighty responsibility to speak God's words. But I want you to understand that though God gave the instructions in verse 8 to Joshua the individual, he was giving them to Joshua the individual because Joshua the individual represented the entire nation. In other words, These instructions though given to Joshua were meant for all the people over whom Joshua had charge. All the people of Israel were in their measure to do what God was commanding Joshua here in verse 8, to speak the words of this book. All of the people of Israel were to be careful not to let this book of the law depart from their mouths. We see this plainly In the previous book of the Old Testament, in fact, in a passage like Deuteronomy 6, where God gave instructions not to an individual leader in Israel, but to the whole congregation saying, these words, which I'm commanding you today, the same words that he's speaking about here in Joshua, these words, which I'm commanding you today, shall be on your heart, the whole congregation. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Did you hear the similarities? Joshua 1.8 is spoken to a leader among God's people, but the instructions given to the leader are really the same instructions that God had given to the whole congregation In Deuteronomy 6, just a reiteration of this fact that all of God's people are to speak these words to their kids in their homes as they walk, when they go to sleep, when they get up in the morning. My people must speak my words, he says, to their children, to their traveling companions, to their guests at home, to their spouses when they go to bed at night, and so on. In all the changing scenes of life, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth." And, of course, that's not just an Old Testament principle either, is it? The New Testament gives us the same sorts of instructions. For instance, take Colossians 3.16, which was written to the average Joe membership of a little church like ours that met in the preacher's parents' home in Colossae, And to that little church, all the members of it, Paul writes these words, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. All the people in the church were told to do that. The whole church was to speak God's word to one another, to teach and admonish one another. And interestingly, one way that they were to do it was in song. So the principle is clear, I think. Every single one of God's believing people, every Israelite in the days of old, every Christian in the New Testament era is to heed the words of God spoken to Joshua that day beside the Jordan River. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. This book of the law ought to be a recurring, noticeable melody line constantly coming up again and again in the daily symphony of your speech. All sorts of words come out of your mouth, right? all sorts of things that you have to talk about, good things, right things. But in the midst of those, just like the theme in a symphony ought to be coming the words of this book again and again into your daily speech. And as we prepare to cross the river into the promise of a new year, I simply ask you, to whom are you going to speak God's words in the months that lie ahead? With whom are you going to share them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way? and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You can do it. There may be people in your life for whom you are the only person in the world who is able to speak God's words. And you can. And you must. Start moms and dads, grandmothers and grandfathers with your little ones. Remember Deuteronomy 6, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Do you have a plan for that in 2013, those of you who have little ones in the home? It doesn't have to be anything spectacular or structured by a curriculum. Just take your Bible or children's Bible if your kids are very small and read a brief portion of it every night, perhaps consecutively, and then talk about it and pray about it together. Will you carve out, parents, a quarter of an hour a day in this new year to ensure with your children that you do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth? And then will you let those conversations, those intentional conversations, spill over when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up? And then what about the local church, one another, speaking that Paul spoke about in Colossians 3? Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, teaching and admonishing one another within the church. Ask yourself, who in the pews around me today and on the other Sundays of the year, who among those people should I be teaching and admonishing and encouraging with God's words in 2013? Now, I don't just mean whom can I give a pat on the back or an attaboy or a you can do it or an I'm praying for you. All those things are important and have their place in God's plan. But they're not exactly what Paul's talking about in Colossians 3. In Colossians 3, Paul is speaking specifically about our sharing the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you so that you can then use it to teach and admonish others. The actual words of scripture shared with fellow believers. Who around you this morning and on a typical Sunday morning, will be sitting with you who needs you to share God's word with them in the scriptures. It may be reading or singing the Bible to children as you watch the nursery. It may be sending a particular verse or passage of scripture in an encouraging note to someone who's discouraged. It may be teaching a Sunday school class or bringing your Bible with you to the hospital visit so you can read and encourage someone from it. Maybe may be sharing a testimony on Wednesday night about what the Lord's been teaching you from his word. It may be offering correction to someone who's fallen into sin and showing them from the Bible why it's wrong and what to do next. It may be discipling someone one-on-one. It may be just be talking about the Sunday school lesson over lunch. There are many different ways to do what we're asked to do, but we must make sure that we do it. Namely, when it comes to the one another of the local church, you shall not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. And then, of course, you shall not let this book of the law depart from your mouth when it comes to the lost and dying world around you. With whom does God want you to share the soul-saving, soul-satisfying good news of Jesus Christ in 2013? Isn't the news of Jesus the best news in the world? Isn't it? Jesus, Lord of all the world, coming as a child among us, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, Emmanuel, God with us, and not only with us, but tempted in all things like us, yet without sin, and dying for us in our place. Because of our sin, being made sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God and then rising from the dead on the third day and ascending to the Father's right hand where he ever lives to make intercession for us and returning one day to gather us to be always with the Lord. That's good news, isn't it? It's too good to keep to ourselves. And so it shouldn't be difficult for us to think of people with whom we want to share that news. It shouldn't be a a, a hard thing. It shouldn't be twisting our arm to not let this book of the law depart from our mouths when it comes to people all around us who need good news. So, with whom will you speak this wonderful news of Jesus in 2013? Think about that. Pray about that. Maybe it's some co workers or some neighbors. Maybe it's a beggar on the street corner whom you'll never see again. Maybe it's someone in a chat room on the internet. Maybe it's a sibling or a parent or a visitor to our church, or the waitress at Red Lobster, or your client, or your doctor, or your repair repairman. But whomever it may be, people all around us need the good news of Jesus. And therefore, this book shall not depart from our mouths in 2013. That's the first thing in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But here's the second thing but you shall meditate on it day and night. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Now that only makes sense, right? If this book of the law is going to come out of you, it must first of all be in you. Or, as Moses put it in Deuteronomy, if you are to speak these words to your children, and when you walk along the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, these words must first, he said, be on your heart. Or, in the words of Paul in Colossians 3, if you are to teach and admonish one another with the words of God, and make melody with them in your heart, the words of Christ must first dwell richly within you. And how do you write these words? On your heart. How do you let these words dwell richly within you? Well, God tells us here by meditating on them day and night. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. And I just want to point out a few things from those words. You shall meditate on it day and night. Perhaps this is stating the obvious, but if you're going to meditate on this book of the law, you'll have to first start by reading it. And that's perhaps what some of us need to hear most clearly this morning. As simple as that sounds, some of us have let the Bible lay aside in the last weeks or months or years. We're not reading or we're not reading with the consistency that we ought to. And it's little wonder if we're not spiritually prosperous and successful and if we don't sense the Lord's presence with us wherever we go. We must start by reading if we're going to get to the meditating And I hope some of you will do that. Now, I've gone on record before with Terry Johnson, a pastor in Georgia, and I'll do it again this morning by saying that the single most important thing you can do for your own and your family's spiritual health is to be right where you are this morning, listening carefully to this book and doing it every Lord's Day, 52 Sundays a year, barring illness. Because when you come here, you hear and you meditate over this book of the law, just as the Lord told Joshua. For 45 minutes every week, you get to hear and meditate on this book, and it's transforming. But beyond that first thing, the next most important thing that you can do for your spiritual health is to read and meditate on this book on your own. And here you're at a distinct advantage to the people in Joshua's day. They didn't have the printing press. So they didn't have their own personal Bibles. They couldn't just pull out the book of Deuteronomy and read it anytime they liked. So for them to meditate on this book day and night meant they had to memorize large portions of it. But you and I can just pull out our KJV or our ESV or our NASB and read the words right in front of us on the page, can't we? Isn't that a blessing? It's amazing. And because we have such amazing access to God's book... Even if we have allowed the Bible to fall by the wayside for the past months, all is not lost because we have it in our hands right now. And you have an opportunity for a fresh start right now and in this new year. What better time of year to forget what lies behind and to reach forward for what lies ahead than on January 1st? And I hope that you'll do that. Sometimes I print out a whole uh, list or or a series of lists of Bible reading plans from which you might choose to get you jump-started meditating on this book of the law in the new year. You can read the Old Testament in a year, or the New Testament in a year, or the whole Bible in a year, or this or that or the other. But, but this year, I've just decided that since you, some of you might be struggling to read the Bible in the first place, let alone meditated on it, I simply wanted to suggest that you tackle just the New Testament, one chapter a day. If you're struggling to read your Bible, just try to read the New Testament one chapter a day. There are 260 chapters in the New Testament. And so if you do that, you'll finish by sometime in the fall, even if you miss a number of days here and there. And I hope that many of you will do that and that others of you will take up some Bible reading plan in the coming year, trying to read God's word each day. But now let's assume for a moment that you do take up the book and read in 2013. Wonderful as that is, there's even more blessing to be gleaned from this middle clause here in Joshua 1.8 because the Lord didn't simply urge Joshua to read the book day and night, but to meditate on it. Meditate on it. Now, be careful here. The word meditate in our culture doesn't always mean what it meant in Joshua's day. This is not Eastern meditation in which a person tries to clear everything out of his mind. The Bible nowhere commends that kind of meditation. Now, when the Bible urges us to meditate, it's not for the purpose of emptying our mind, but filling it with truth. And that's just what we see here in Joshua 1.8. The command is not simply to meditate, but to meditate on this book. And to meditate on the book is something more than hurriedly reading over it one time. To meditate is to mull over to consider the implications of, to think deeply about, to ponder. To meditate in the words of Paul is to let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Richly, not just on the surface. And that's where Josh was talking to himself perhaps came in. He was repeating the words to himself over and over, not as a mantra, but simply as a way of getting them stuck in his head so that he could mull over them. Long and hard, even when the book wasn't open in front of him. Even when the scroll was put away, and I commend that to you. Memorizing the scripture so that you can meditate on it, even when it's not open before you on the desk. But with Bibles readily available to us, we don't only have to meditate, right? We can open, we can read, and we can think. And we must think deeply is what we're being told here. That's why I'm encouraging you to read just a chapter a day, especially if you're new at this or if your schedule is hectic. I don't want you to have so much to read that you rush through the time and don't think about what you're reading. I want you to take plenty of time to meditate, to think about it, to talk to the Lord about it, perhaps to write about what you're reading and learning in a journal. Don't be in a hurry when you read your Bible. You're not going to read Matthew chapter 1 this Tuesday simply to check it off your list. You're going to read it because you believe that God has a blessing for you wrapped up inside the words on that page. And so you'll want to read it slowly, like enjoying a gourmet meal. You ever open a Christmas gift and you pull out the thing and you think you found your gift and you never realize that there was a card in the bottom with a check in it? And Sometimes we do that with the Bible. We're so in a hurry to get it open and get it done and get on to the next thing that we miss what God intended to give us. Don't do that. Don't be in a hurry. Or to use another illustration, I remember when I was a boy, and maybe not just when I was a boy, I was always eating too fast, taking bites that were way too big, and swallowing them with only a cursory attempt at chewing. And my mother used to tell me three things at the dinner table. One of them was that no one was going to steal my food, and so I didn't need to be in such a hurry. But the other things that she said to me were quite applicable this morning, I think. Take small bites and chew your food. That's what she said. Take small bites, son. And then after I'd taken a bite, chew your food. Things digest better that way, don't they? You actually get to savor the taste much longer as well. If you'll just take small bites And chew your food. And that's true with the Bible too, isn't it? The Bible's our food, spiritually. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word spoken from the mouth of the Lord. And we must learn not to eat this food too quickly. We must learn to chew it, to turn it over between our teeth, so to speak, unlocking all the flavor that's there and allowing it to digest and better nourish our souls. And however large your daily Bible meal may be, whether it's a chapter or whether you have the time and the wherewithal to do more than that, most of us will digest whatever the plate size is better if we eat the portion in small bites. In other words, if we'll chew on just a little bit at a time, reading slowly, pausing to think every few verses or sentences instead of hurriedly rushing to the end. Chew your food, son. Meditate on this book. Take your time. Stop and think about what you're reading. Talk to the Lord about it. Read and reread. Even if you say, I need to, today to reread again what I read yesterday because there was so much good stuff there. Don't be in a hurry to get to the end. Take notes. Underline key points. Allow yourself to think about how this passage might apply to the issues you're facing this very day or this week. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. And you shall do so, says the Lord, day and night. Day and night. One of the goals of your morning Bible reading ought to be to give yourself something to chew on all throughout the day. I have to admit that I'm not always good at this. I read my Bible in the morning, and often I spend time thinking and praying about what I read. But by the end of the day, the thoughts have gone out of my mind, and I have to work hard to remember what I read. Some of you are like that, I'm sure. But my goal ought to be to taste and see that the Lord is good in the morning, and then to work at keeping that taste in my mouth all the rest of the day to remind myself of what I read, to remind myself of the goodness I saw in God, to keep mulling it over in my mind. And of course, I don't have to just do that with what I read today. If the word of Christ begins to dwell in me richly, then I'll have all sorts of Bible truths in my mind that I can think about at appropriate points throughout my day. This is one reason why singing the word allah Colossians 3 is so helpful. When the scriptures or scriptural truths are set to music, we can sing and we can hum along all day long, meditating on this book of the law. Wouldn't you like to have a year in front of you where you're just always singing and humming the Lord's word? Happy and joyful and chewing on good, solid food all throughout the day. It may also help if you're going to meditate on the Bible day and night to actually read the Bible day and night. Maybe you do your personal devotions in the morning and your family ones in the evening or vice versa. Or if you live alone, maybe you read in the morning that chapter for the day and you mull over it and you chew on it. And then in the evening, you read again what you read earlier in the day and taste and see the Lord's goodness all afresh. Some of you have had good food over Christmas, haven't you? And when it's good, you don't mind eating it again the second time or the third time. However you do it, however you read and meditate day and night, the idea of our daily Bible reading is that it's not something that we simply check off the list and get out of our way once every 24 hours, like taking our medicine. We must meditate on this book of the law, slowly chewing on it and savoring what God says, and we must do so not for a few minutes once a day, but to keep the word in our hearts day and night. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. And then there's a third thing here in Joshua 1.8. On it you shall meditate so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. God speaks to Joshua about his mouth about his mind and heart, and now about his hands and his feet. I've already used up a good bit of my time, so let me just get straight to the point here. God did not want to create in Joshua and in the people of Israel simply a nation full of Bible-loving thinkers. Now, of course, he did want to create that. He did want them to be Bible-loving thinkers, but not only that. He wanted them to love the Bible, to think about the Bible, to taste and see that the Lord was good, so that they would honor the Lord with their hands and their feet. He wanted them to meditate on this book of the law both day and night, so that they would do according to this book of the law, both day and night. In the words of the New Testament, he wanted them to be doers of the word and not hearers only, and the same is true for us, isn't it? We don't read our Bible simply for the building of theological knowledge or because the word of Christ warms our hearts. We do read it for those reasons, but not only for those reasons. We also read the Bible and we think deeply about what it says so that we may be careful. Carefully notice that word careful. Not so that we hope that we do it or so that we think that we're doing it, so that we may be careful to do according to all That is written in it. Sometimes we forget the careful. And the all. But the reason why we read the word. Is so that we're careful. To do all. That God says. It's the same reason we eat and chew. Our food carefully isn't it. Yes because eating and chewing. Excites our taste buds. But also because the calories from the food. Enable us to do our daily work. And so it is with our spiritual food. This daily bread gives us spiritual energy to work for the Lord, and it gives us laws which leave for us a blueprint for exactly how we should do that work. In fact, I think it's significant that when speaking to Joshua, the Lord refers to the first five books of the Bible that had been composed at that point in history as this book of the law. He calls them the law, and I think that's significant and striking because Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, I've labored for many years to remind you, contain more than just a collection of rules and laws. They contain history for one thing, right? The account of creation and the patriarchs and the Exodus and so on. And wrapped up in that history and in many of the laws as well is a treasure trove of what we call the gospel in the first five books of the Bible. The good news of God's plan to send a Savior to die for the sins of the world is in those first five books. We could almost call them the gospel according to Moses. Because don't we think of Jesus all the time when we read those books? Don't we think of him when we read of the ram caught in the thicket and shedding its blood so that Isaac didn't have to die? And don't we think of Jesus when we see the serpent hung up on the pole in the book of Numbers so that all who looked to it would be healed of the deadly disease that was brought about by their sin. And when we see the Passover lamb slain so that the Israelites might be passed over by the angel of death. Or when we read about the tabernacle and its one entryway and its high priest and its sacrifices for sin. We think of Jesus. There's a lot more, I say, in, in this book that Joshua had in his hands than just a list of rules. And there's a lot more in this completed book that we hold in our hands than just a list of rules. The ba- Bible's main theme is not laws and rules, but God's plan for redeeming those who've broken them. And yet, here in Joshua 1.8, the Lord calls these books the book of the law reminding us that he does care about the rules, even though they're not the main thing in the book. He does care about the law. And the reason God is concerned with the law and our obedience to it is not so that he can smack our hands when we fail, though he will do that. But more importantly, God is concerned that we're careful to obey all that's written in this book because our doing so opens the floodgates of his blessing. Isn't that what we're told in verse 8? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. This is the blessed life, God says, knowing my laws and doing my laws. And that's what I want for us in 2013. That's what I want for you as an individual and for your family and for our church, for us to be prosperous and successful. In order to do that, we need to be careful to do according to all that God has taught us to do. Now, just as an aside, like the word meditation, the word prosperous means something very different often in our culture than it did in Joshua's day. So does the promise here of prosperity and success in verse 8 mean that Paul and Jan and Joel Osteen are right? That God wants us to be wealthy and perfectly healthy and necessarily to have our best lives now? Well, read on in the book of Joshua and you find that those things are not the Bible's definition of prosperity and success the people of God in the book of Joshua still had to face many obstacles. The same obstacles that had scared them away 40 years before the first time they thought to cross the Jordan River. They were still going to have to fight battles. They were still going to have to deal with the Anakim, the giants in the land. They were still going to be tempted by the idols around them. They'd still wrestle with their own personal sin problems. And so the promise was not that if they were good boys and girls, they would coast into the promised land and sail all the way to heaven on flowery beds of ease. The promise of prosperity and success was that in the midst of the obstacles and the adversity and the battles, they would win. Didn't mean they wouldn't get injured. Didn't mean they wouldn't suffer difficulty, but they would overcome They would become whom God intended them to be. They would inherit the promises. That's what the Bible means when it speaks of prosperity and success. And that's what it means for us. If we'll be people of this book, if we'll speak the word of God and meditate on the word of God and do the word of God, we will inherit God's promises. Perhaps through adversity, often through pain, many times much slower than we like, but we will inherit God's promises. He will conform us to the image of His Son. He will supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory. He will work all things together for our good. He will bring fruit from our evangelistic efforts. He will hear our cries for our children. And the list could go on and on and on. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have biblical success. It's an amazing blessing that comes with obedience, isn't it? Just think for a moment of all the commandments of God that come with blessings attached for those who obey. There are a lot of them. Let me remind you of a few. Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And some of you can say amen because you know that it's true. Or how about this commandment attached with a blessing attached? Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Your life will go better if you honor your mom and dad, children and adults whose moms, moms and dads are still alive. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Do what God says towards your husband, and God will bless that. Matthew six fourteen, If you forgive others, for their transgression, your Father in heaven will forgive you. Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen and 14. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you to ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So many of God's commands come with specific blessings attached. And what Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 is telling us is that even when those blessings are not specified right next to the particular commandment in the pages of Scripture, the blessings are still there. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. What more of a blanket promise could we want? This is one reason why the Apostle John could say that God's commandments, quote, are not burdensome. I love that phrase, and I only wish I believed it more. His commandments are not burdensome. And the reason why they are not is because an obedient life is a blessed life. An obedient life is a blessed life. And oh, what a blessed year 2013 could be for ourselves and for our families and for our church and for our evangelistic efforts if we would all heed this word given by the Lord to Joshua and Israel and applying so clearly to us as well. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success.